Welcome to the Bad and Bitchy Podcast. I'm Erica. <laughs> I was looking right at you. <laughs> I just like said it. Welcome to the Bad and Bitchy Podcast. I'm Erin. I'm Erica. And Erica, this week on the podcast, we are going to be discussing two things. So one is airing the dirty laundry in Canada's Black community. And the second is something that you had referenced a couple of weeks ago, which is the protest happening at Howard University in Washington, D.C., which is an HBCU. And so before we get into that, Erica, let's do some quick housekeeping. So we are going to be having a Twitter space on Wednesday, November 17th in the evening from 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern time. Save the date. Come join us for a discussion about Canadian politics, maybe tech, maybe whatever you want to talk about. Come with questions, come with comments. We want to hear from you. And the second thing is that we are planning our first founding members event So that will be taking place at the end of November. So if you are a founding member, make sure to check your emails. We'll be sending out a formal save the date for that. That'll be a Zoom event and we will be opening up the floor to you to share feedback, to share ideas, to just have a very informal discussion similar to what we're going to be doing on Twitter, but in a more intimate setting. And so that is a great reminder to become a subscriber to the podcast. So there are many options available. There's $7 per month. There's $75 per year. And then the founding membership, which is $200 annually. And, you know, like I said, you do get access to these private events and I think maybe some merch in the future. And Erica, what other things do you have to promote? I wrote, no, (laughs) let me be more accurate. So I trashed the liberals online harms proposal this week in the Hill Times Mm -hmm. because it's garbage. That's what I got. It's a light week for me. I noticed that there was a very prominent academic who shared your column. Yeah. Michael Geist shared Mm -hmm. my column on Twitter. You know, the thing about tech is that you're, you're never quite sure until, you know what I mean? Because Mm -hmm. there's just so many like intricate details. So I do like writing about tech and society a lot. And I really do think digital justice is like the next tsunami of civil rights and stuff like that. Amazing. And then I had a piece this week in the Burnaby Beacon. So a newsletter that is sent out to basically my hometown. And I wrote a profile on uh, my alma mater SFU's football team and their first woman football player. And she's the kicker and she's a starter and she's amazing. Okay. So you know what I'm watching? Mm. Narcos Mexico season three. Mm-hmm. It is pretty good. Like there's a lot more character exploration in this one, but it really, there are some really good lessons of how to take down power. Mm. Seriously. I'm just like, oh. on top of that, the main character, Am- Amado, is, you know, easy on the eyes. <laughs> I'm just saying great hair too. My mm-hmm. goodness. Anyway, all this to say that they talk about the difference between coming at somebody like a street fighter and infiltrating them like a cancer. And I'm like, dude, Mm. 
some of the strategies and stuff, I was like, brah. So I had a day full of narcos because I'm sick, mm-hmm. but not COVID. I mean, For small everybody victories. who's seen me last weekend, don't worry. This week in feminism, we're going to talk first about airing your dirty laundry within the Black community in Canada. So the Toronto Star recently published a column by Grayson James. He's a former reporter with the Toronto Star, and he wrote this weird, long read about Desmond Cole, the Toronto activist. Early on in the piece, there's a quote that says, quote, you can love Cole in the Christian sense of loving your brother or your enemy. Like, though is a term of endearment. To a growing number of African Canadians, Cole is anything but likable, end quote. And, you know, this raises a lot of questions. And, you know, we've had a lot of conversations about this, Erica, about people within the Black community and how non-Black people view Black people as a monolith. And then other questions about why should Desmond be likable? To whom should he be likable? And why? But for a bit of background, part of what this story is about is Justice Donald McLeod. Justice Donald McLeod and their his relationship with Desmond. And so a little bit of background on McLeod. So he is a black judge and he went to a judicial panel hearing that was called because McLeod compromised judicial standards by improperly advocating for black people. And the panel revealed that the most serious complaint against McLeod was an allegation of perjury which arose from Desmond's very own website back in 2019. And so Donald McLeod is a successful criminal lawyer, or sorry, I guess was a successful criminal lawyer since he's now a judge. And as a lawyer, he had a record of creating social good throughout community initiatives and then was appointed as a judge in 2013. Four years later, moved by the gunslang of someone he knew, McLeod convened a meeting in Regent Park in Toronto of professionals working in several fields to ask how they might address the issues. He'd grown up in social housing in Regent Park and saw some of the worst effects of unaddressed problems from his place on the bench. So in December 2017, the Federation of Black Canadians, or FBC, was officially announced, and McLeod was talking about forming a national organization. At the same time, He was also meeting with the prime minister, who at the time is our current prime minister, Justin Trudeau. McLeod sought and received guidance from the Ontario Judicial Council on the limits of advocacy for a judge. And the FBC grew to encompass dozens of community volunteers and gained such quick prominence that the federal liberals announced funds to finance the initiatives that the FBC flagged. And so Milena Williams wrote about tensions within the Black community relating to the FBC in McLean's. Desmond wrote about Justice McLeod and the Federation of Black Canadians on his blog. And that's just kind of the whole whole thing. It's a very complex issue that has a lot of backstory that I'm not super familiar with. But I know, Erica, you've been following this for a few years now. Yeah. So, okay. When this story broke I think it was like around 2017 and what happened was like Justice McLeod was advocating for Black Canadians through this Federation of Black Canadians that was formed in like December 2017 or something and I remember seeing tweets and there was some Black Gala Awards thing and the Federation I guess got awards and we were all like but weren't they just formed? (laughs) <laughs> like so I remember it, that it was, I remember that yeah it was just ne- it was just 
a little musty from the beginning, right? And then you find out that they have close ties to PMO, that, you know, Minister Hussein's wife is like on the board. And you're just like, "Mm, I feel like this is looking a little liberal, right? And that was the whole problem. The whole idea of an independent judiciary kind of fucking matters. I don't know, maybe it's me. It's a tenet of democracy to say. Well, especially because, you know, people who are participating in those discussions were probably also criticizing Donald Trump for having his hands in the Justice Department. Right, exactly. I mean, this criticism, okay, Black people criticizing other Black people wins Black people no friends, okay? And so Desmond is a reporter. He does did what he does. He reported on it. And there's a link to his Coles notes, his blog, the first sort of report. And I remember talking to him about it. When I met him, I had already formed this idea. And I was like, am I crazy? Like, is this kind of, is this stinking? And he said, well, let me tell you. And so this has been going on for a while. What happened was one of his colleagues, who I believe wasn't even black, was like a white woman, filed a complaint against him for this. And he got pretty much a slap on the wrist because I think the idea was like, we're, we know what you're trying to do. It's seeming like we understand that your motives are good. Just don't do it this way. And then he kept doing it. And we were all like, <sighs> and this is what Royce and James is talking about. If you, I skimmed the article. There's only so much bloviating I can take from mm-hmm. somebody who's never been out, who's never out on the streets per se. Mm-hmm. Like you never see him protesting. You never see him. Like if you look at his articles, they are your typical. I mean, I, could I mean, I, I know how I would fetch, put it. Yeah. Like step and fetch him Negro type things that placate white liberal mm-hmm. and white liberals are very important in this story more so than white conservatives. Mm-hmm. Because if you look at the piece, if you actually read the piece, which we do link to in show notes, I won't go over the whole thing. It's a lot of, you know, you attack this good black man and it kind of triggers me because it reminds me of this idea of gender where if you're a black woman who ports rape and the man is black and like middle class or something or like rich, then you're trying to take down a good black man, quote unquote. You know, I know Russell Simmons uh, victims have experienced that a lot. So there's like a whole lot of tying in a whole lot of different social issues within the black community. Royce and James offers no receipts to say why, what, I don't understand what Desmond did that was so bad or so wrong. He reported on something as a reporter. He did his due diligence. He posted it on his website. What is the problem? The problem is Royce and this judge belong to the same church denomination. Apparently they're both seven day Adventists. Mm. And if you know anything about Seven Day Adventists, that community is quite small Mm. and it's full of like black liberal slash conservative voters. Like it's black conservative stuff. They're Yeah, they're moderate. Well, yeah, but some of them could even be social conservatives. Mm -hmm. So you're talking about upper class older because Royce and James is like in his 70s. This justice is like in his late 50s, early 60s. And Desmond's in his late 30s. So there's a generational clash. 
there's a clash. And what you're seeing is Black respectability politics. Because what is disgusting to me is that the Toronto, was there like no editorial oversight whatsoever? This is a hit piece. Mm -hmm. It is a hit piece. And it's, it's not surprising that this is the same paper that got its ass singed because of the way they treated Desmond as a columnist by telling him he couldn't be an activist and a columnist Mm -hmm. for them, even though they had a lot of white people who were doing both. I think Naomi Klein was one of them. Mm -hmm. And everybody was like, like, what the hell? Because it was just a it was just a gaping inconsistency. He writes about it in his best-selling book. And so I just wonder if this is white liberal establishment trying to bring Desmond down a peg or two by using a black man to write this hit piece. Yeah. So- I think this is all about white power and white supremacy and using black people to shift. Mm-hmm. Somebody they think is too powerful or too influential, which are yes. not necessarily the same thing. Or too loud in a, about things that they don't like, right? But they wouldn't care if he didn't make their lives uncomfortable. Yep. Yeah. And I think the piece is very long and it got, I had to stop reading it one because I was like, oh, this is like a 20 minute read. Yeah. Second of all, I was like this, it just seems like a lot of complaining. Yes. Listen, listen to them. The hearings for the first one. So tossed out the complaint, blah, 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 blah. Justice McLeod was back on the bench on June 21st, following a 22-month paid suspension. Oh, how life can be so nice. Well, the judicial complaint process paid out. But by then, swaths of the Black community were awash in trauma over the general conclusion that McLeod's blood was on Desmond Cole's hands. Get the fuck out of here. Mm-hmm. It wasn't even Desmond Cole. Desmond Cole is not the one who filed the complaint. But even if it was, the fact of the matter is, is that he was still found culpable for the actions that he took. Well, the Sorry. complaint was like thrown out. Not thrown out. Royce says it was thrown out. It might have been dismissed just for the mm-hmm. reasons I said. But other than that, I mean, the man, he, he did was... enough to warrant a suspension. Exactly. Yes, he did. Thank you. Right. And like, Desmond's not the one handing down the suspension. There was probably an investigation. And then, you know, the superiors issued the suspension. That's right. Because Massa always wins. Don't we know this? So Milena Williams, as you said, wrote this piece in McLean's. And she said, while activists like Black Lives Matter Toronto have occasionally faced scorn from the community for being too radical, which is very true, by the way. Mm -hmm. There's also an opposite mistrust of the so-called talented 10th. For those who don't know what the talented 10th is, I will include the W.E.B. Dubois essay talking about that. Activism, which is predicated on the reliance of the influential and the affluent in our communities to help support the rest of us instead of helping themselves and their ill. This is a key cornerstone of the current controversy surrounding the FBC. Appearances matter. Who appears to be truly committed to the cause of dismantling white supremacist structures in totality? And who appears to be interested in gatekeeping and faux activism? So 
I have a story. In like, I think it was December of 2018, I want to say. Might have been 2019. So the Federation of Black Canadians had an Ottawa open house, which I attended. And girl, this thing was amateur hour. It started like 40 minutes late. How do you Um, start late? I don't know, girl. I I just, I don't, I don't get it. The slides were rudimentary. One of them had the wrong, like the financial slide had the wrong financial year on it. Oh, I remember I you telling me this. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, it was just fucking embarrassing. It was amateur hour. And I remember thinking, I hope the fuck they're not going to PMO with this shit. So I don't know what Justice McLeod or the Federation or Hussein's <laughs> wife or whatever were advocating for behind closed doors. I do wonder if they were part of the whole Justin Trudeau blackface apology Mm -hmm. tour. So remember I wrote that piece and I was like, oh, behind these closed doors, there was this meeting. I don't know if they were part of this meeting. Right. It's just, it just stunk to high heaven. And this is black class politics. Mm -hmm. You have an older, more conservative, more, sorry, but um, step and fetch and kind of black people who want to placate white supremacy too much because they think that that's going to get them crumbs or get them advancement. Okay. And then you have a younger, more radical activist sect. And guess who white people in positions of power want to talk to? So then they become the gatekeepers. Interesting to me that this piece was published post the dust up about Greg Fergus, right? Yeah. Because post Elizabeth May. Post Elizabeth May, especially because like, you know, the issues that you had pointed out in your columns about Greg Fergus is that he was happy to do the bidding so that it would, he would garner some benefits and some rewards down the road. And I, I don't think it's necessarily the same as what Royce and James is talking about to the same degree, but I think it's on a, on a continuum or a spectrum of this same type of behavior. But I think that Greg Fergus did it less because that's what he believes and what he hoped would then what he hoped would happen. Yeah. For like I think I think he he ultimately understands the power structure and like the white supremacy yeah. of it all. Yeah. But that he... I think that's how he got to where he is. Yeah. He's like um he's like a writer emeritus or something. Has been there since the he's trying 80s. to game the system. Yeah. But the thing is is that the stresses on the structure Mm. are different now right and so it's the idea of both the street fighter and the cancer Mm. right i think what would be honestly amazing for activism is is if those two things can come together problem is we have a class problem like anywhere else Mm because if you're talking about these black glitterati the people who i have heard complain about desmond cole are always older Mm -hmm. and they're usually straight from diasporic places mm. of the you know the black canadian presence so older west indians older africans that kind of thing and so respectability politics is how to them they've survived and thrived and they don't understand why we can't just do the same but for some of us who have actually done respectability politics it's a scar on our souls you know mm. and you because um, you're you're trading your humanity Right. And your existence. Exactly. As is for something that is 
always a threat to you, always. And so it's, it really is the way it plays out in different ways. I go through respectability politics in the show notes. And it's defined as this, the belief that if only a marginalized group behaved better in public and presented a better image to the outside world, their lot in life would improve. You know, we've seen, we've heard that a lot. You know, Bill, <laughs> Bill Cosby <laughs> is one of the greatest purveyors of respectability politics in a generation of black people baby boomer black people that's who it is so it goes on to say the usefulness of this approach is limited and we need to recognize it for the coping mechanism that it is it is also an approach that puts the full burden for change on the already marginalized and is thus understandably galling. Adjusting dress and behavior needs to be understood as one potential approach that may have its uses in certain circumstances because fashion is a weapon, but not in others. It's not a cure-all. It goes on to say, if respectability politics actually worked, then Henry Louis Gates Jr. wouldn't have been arrested for talking back to a police officer in his own home. Mm. It's the basis for, I think, I think there's so much of that that plays out in the unarmed shooting mm-hmm. of young black men. Yeah. Trayvon Martin and his hoodie comes to mind. So that's all the like racial implications, I got class implications of what Royston James got published in a paper that I am increasingly side-eyeing. If this is Canadian progressivism, we're fucked. Yeah. And so I think it just brings me back to this idea that who is saying that Desmond needs to be likable and what does it mean to be likable? Right. Because those are words that are levied against any marginalized group. Right. Like women hear that all the time. Other racialized groups hear that all the time when they step out of the white patriarchal structures of how they're supposed to act. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, which is which is why I put the question in there, like, why should he be likable to whom Mm -hmm. under what tenets too? because I don't consider somebody somebody's plastic smile likability, but that's very white. You know what I mean? They do that. It's true. And, you know, it's for for various reasons, but that culturally, that's not what I grew up with. Right. So even culturally speaking, it's viewed through a white lens. It's, it's very interesting because if you go into the class politics, W.E.B. Dubois called the talented 10th of the population would lead the race to prosperity and equality by obtaining higher levels of education, nice clothing and acting properly. Middle class African-Americans considered themselves and expected others to consider them as good citizens as whites. Mm-hmm. And that's basically what it came down to. So Erica, that does it for this week. And uh, we will be back later this week with misogynist of the week. Yeah, um, we've been missing misogynist of the week. It's the election. Yeah, we did other things instead. Yeah. And then it was just easing back into it. <laughs> but misogynist of the week will be free. So that'll be back in your normal feeds. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't not become a subscriber. Like I said at the top, $7, $75, $200. Those are your options. You get full podcast episodes. You get 
access to our show notes, which Erica diligently puts together. Yes, I do. And I, you guys better fucking download that shit. (laughs) I'm just saying. Yeah, they're very comprehensive and they're very insightful. There's also things in them that we don't necessarily always talk about. And we may not even reference some of the things that we include. So that's all of your research on basically anything we talk about is in those show notes. And then, yeah, like I said, if you become a founding member, you get private events, whole bunch of things. Um, But also, like I mentioned at the top, November 17th, Wednesday, 8 p.m. Twitter spaces, we will be there. So hopefully you'll join us. And uh, on that note, Erica, I'll see you later this week. Bye. Bye.